listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Today I want to return to and conclude our series, Falling Fruit. Falling Fruit. The first week of this series, we looked at the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and how the habitual sin in Abraham's life was passed on to his son Isaac and eventually to his grandson Jacob. But the second week, we saw how three righteous generations in a row, now I didn't say perfect, but I said righteous, it means they were fighting for it. They were fighting for it. And three fighting generations in a row, three righteous generations in a row, fighting against the strongholds can break the generational curses that haunt our families. And today, I want to expand our influence. And as we conclude this series, I want to talk about something that's been heavy on my heart and something I, I, I want to dive into about our spiritual sons and daughters. I promise you this will not be the last time you hear about this subject, it's something that God is really leading me into, but it will conclude this series, our spiritual sons and daughters and, and our influence on them. There, there are really two groups of people that I want to speak to today, and it should involve everyone in the room. It, it's the mentors and the mentees, and maybe you don't find yourself in either one of those categories right now, and I'm praying that the conviction of the Holy Spirit settles upon our hearts and we recognize the urgency of this. Because there's leaders and then there's next generation leaders and we, we need to be doing our part. Both need to be doing our part. Jesus said in Matthew 7 verses 15 through 20, he said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will, be recognized, you, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. These are hard words, heavy words. But he says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is going to be cut down, thrown into the fire, and you'll be recognized by your fruits. Since the kingdom of God involves making disciples, Jesus said it, go therefore and make disciples. That's part of the process. It's part of what, what we should be doing. Since the kingdom of God involves making disciples, what if, just stay with me, but what if we are judged by those that we influence to become not just Christ's uh, followers, but fruit-bearing disciples. Because I, I really think that's the goal of Christianity. I think that's the goal of what Christ was calling us to do. I, I'm not taking away from the salvation call. Listen, at the end of this service today, we're going to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ, to be forgiven of your sins. We're going to do that. It's important. It is the most important step a person can make. But for the rest of us in the room, for everyone else in the room, you need to hear me. We're not called just to make Christians. We're called to make disciples. That is a mandate from Christ. Go, therefore, and make disciples. We are called to disciple. And so what if we are judged, truly judged, by those that we influence to become fruit-bearing disciples or we're judged for the lack of, of fruit-bearing disciples that we bring to the kingdom? In, in my latter years of life, I have become determined to not just exist in my salvation. It's not enough. It's not enough. Hear me out, church. It's not enough for me just to be saved. I, I want to make disciples. I want to make new ones. I want to make better ones. I want to make better disciples for the kingdom of God. I want the next generation to have a greater impact than what we have right now. Amen. Don't be selfish. Don't be prideful in this. I'm telling you, I'm about to break that stuff down. You need to hear me, hear me out. I'm wanting, I'm expecting, I'm believing that the next generation will have a greater impact than what we have. I want them to send more money to the mission field than we ever thought possible. I want them to reach more people and change more lives. I want them to win more people. I want them to see more people answer the salvation call. I want them to, to baptize more people than what we have. I want them to restore more marriages. I want them to dream bigger dreams. That's what I hope for the next generation. Amen? But in order for this to happen, church, you have to understand we've got to be very intentional with it. It just doesn't happen. No child becomes a great ball player 
by all of the adults sitting on the couch and watching TV. Somebody has to make up their mind and say, you know what? I want that child to be a good ball player. I'm going to go outside in the backyard and I'm going to teach them how to throw. I'm going to teach them how to catch. I'm going to teach them how to hit. Somebody, some adult in their life says, this child matters. I want to help them become better at this. And so I'm going to go invest in them. But it doesn't happen unintentionally. It happens because someone gets off the couch and goes outside and makes it happen. Now think about this. Most of what we do in life won't last. This is convicting. I know it is. But most of what we do, it will not last. The fruit of our day-to-day lives will not remain. Think about your life right now. Think about what what you're going to do for the rest of this day and and for the rest of this week, what, what that looks like. Most of what you do won't matter 10 years after you die. How many of you are just depressed right now? You're just like, that, that just stinks, Pastor. Why would you? I'm telling you, most of what we do will not matter 10 years after we die. I, I want to I challenge you to do something. Don't do it while we're, while we're sitting in service. You need to be listening to me right now. But, but I challenge you, later today, go back and look over all your posts on social media over the past year. And, and keep a tally of how many of those are eternal things. That they matter for eternity. you'll recognize very quickly that what we do most of the time doesn't matter. It's not fruit. It's not good fruit. 19th century American philosopher, historian, and he's also considered to be the father of American psychology, William James, he once said these words. He said, the greatest use of your life is to invest it in that which outlasts it. Listen to it again. The greatest use of your life is to invest it in that which outlasts it. Jesus said it like this in John 15, 16. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. That's everyone in the room. Somebody say, Jesus chose me. He chose you. You're part of this. He chose you. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit And then he defines it, fruit that will last. You see, that is the goal. Christ, he wants you to bear fruit that will last. So what does lasting fruit look like? Fruit that remains long after you're gone, long after you flatline, long after you leave this world. That is what we're looking at. What is going to last? What is the lasting fruit And and that fruit can can certainly come from within our homes. I, I understand that. I I hope and I pray that I have instilled principles in my children that that will last long after I am gone. And I pray that they will take those same principles and they will instill them into their children long after I am gone. I I, I think that that is is so important, that, that heritage that we need in our family, the legacy. But understand, before you can leave a legacy, you have to live a legacy. And, and, and the fruit can certainly come from within our homes. I, I want that to happen in my own family. But it is not limited to our offspring, and it should not. As a community of believers, it should not be limited just to our offspring. We should be looking around at, at who God has put in our lives and say, God, how can I invest in this next generation? For, for, for a younger generation in the room, you should be looking up and saying, who can I latch on to? Who can I find that will, that will invest into me? And, and, and we should be uh, in, in this relationship, fostering relationships between mentors and mentees. It's something that the church is lacking and it's something that we need to do because that's where we produce lasting fruit. We've got to continue to invest in the next generation of Christian leaders. It's the reason why we have built a student center, had a ribbon cutting this past Wednesday night, and because we want them to have a place to call home. Now listen to me. I I stood in this pulpit right here and and, uh, over almost, well, two and a half years ago, I stood right here and I I told the church on the first Sunday morning in this building, I said, listen, I'm so glad to be in here, but our students, they don't have anywhere to go since we moved out of the middle school. We don't have space for them. And I said, we're going to give them this room on Wednesday nights, middle school and high school students, because they need it more than we do. 
And we did. We went online. I'm, I was so tired of speaking online on Wednesday nights. Matter of fact, after the Christmas break, I didn't come back online. I know some of you were upset with me, but I don't care. I couldn't stare at a camera anymore. I, I was tired of looking into a camera and a ring light. I felt like I was doing makeup tutorials all the time. <laughs> I was done. But Wednesday night, we launched. We had it right here, Bible study in this room. But I'm telling you, we, we are investing in the generation. I told everyone that, that first Sunday in this building, I said, it's, they're going to get stains on the carpet. They're going to get marks on the walls, but we'll replace the carpet squares and we'll paint the walls. And we've done that. We've done that for two and a half years. But this past Wednesday night, we introduced them to what we have built for them with that student center. Now they have a place to hang out, to fellowship, to have fun, but also to learn God's word, to grow in God's word, and to worship the name of Jesus Christ. We've given them that because we are investing in that next generation. It's, it's the reason why God laid on my heart a few years ago to start the ministry development program, to see the next generation of leaders be raised up because, you know what, I want to make sure that we, we are raising up those that can reach the next generation and and, and, and that, that fruit will last. I want to make sure that we're investing in them. But unfortunately, church, the church has, has become accustomed, this is tough, to killing our young Davids. Not this church. I shouldn't speak so generalized, but the church in general has become so accustomed to killing our young Davids. And here's what's happening. It's carried out in the name of protecting tradition and this false sense of reverence. One of the reasons why I wanted to make sure that the kids were able to come in this room, middle school and high schoolers, because I knew they were going to make a mess at times. And trust me, I don't like messes. I, I, I'm very OCD. I know that I am. But never do I want a building to become so sacred that we can't have meaningful ministry in it. That's why we're not building cathedrals. We're building usable space that we can use for ministry purposes. If you want to know part of our, our, our ministry philosophy, that's, that's, one of the, that's one of the answers right there. It's, it's not about building sacred space. Listen, it's very plain this becomes sacred space. This is, is, is where he dwells. This is, is, is what houses the Holy Spirit of God. This has to become sacred space. If we become more worried about keeping this clean as we are about keeping this clean, we might see some changes in the kingdom of God. But we're killing young Davids in the name of protecting tradition and this false sense of reverence. And it's birthed in the heart of jealousy and intimidation. I want you to listen to this. 1 Samuel 18, verses 6 through 11. It says, When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, that's, that's Goliath, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. Watch this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall, but David escaped him twice. You see, I see this all the time, church. I see where pastors become jealous of, of younger ministers. I watch them as, as they'll do anything they can to pin them to the wall. Maybe not physically, but spiritually and mentally, they'll pin them to the wall because they don't want to see them succeed. And it's birthed out of jealousy. It's birthed out of intimidation. And, and, and you know, I don't want a younger generation, especially at Destiny Community Church, to think for one minute that we're intimidated, but I also don't want them to think that we're jealous. I want them to do more than what we've done. I I want to see greater things out of them. Jesus looked at us and said, you'll do greater things. We should expect them to do greater things. We can't be intimidated. We've got to learn to cheer them on. We've got to become their biggest cheerleaders, even when they get it wrong, and they will get it wrong. Because you know what? I was a young youth pastor at one time. I know some of you are like, well, you were young once. I was. I was young once. And, 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 and I remember... Riding that horse and buggy to church, and, and no, no, 
I remember, I remember ministers over me in the Lord that encouraged me. And, and, and I'm here today because they, they kept on and, and encouraging me and, and giving me a word from God when I needed it. And they were not intimidated by me. They, 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 were, they were not pressured to try and outdo me. They wanted me to shine and they wanted me to succeed in the kingdom of God. We want that next generation to be greater than we are because if they're greater, then the kingdom of God is stronger. But we can't be jealous of them. Kendall has has been joking about the father-daughter dance and that she never got to go to one. We didn't have one. We've been a part of one in recent years and, and then we've decided to host our own and, and, and I, never, I never had the chance to take Kendall to it. But, but don't worry, we're, we're planning a very elaborate father-daughter dance that's going to cost me an arm and a leg and I'll only get one dance with her, that's it. Jerk. I'm just kidding. You know, it would be easy for all of our former AXA students, those that were raised in our youth ministry, it would be so easy for them to look at that new student center and be jealous of what our students have now. And they weren't until I just mentioned it. Now they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, when, when they first started, our church, our church met in an old church building. Only, our sanctuary would only seat 120 and I taught Wednesday nights, I, I taught adults in that room, and Pastor Andrew and Deanna started our first youth ministry in the fellowship hall of that, of that little building. Eventually, after we moved over across the street to the middle school, they moved Axis in, in, into the, the sanctuary there. And it was an old building, and we didn't want to put any money into it because we knew it was not our forever home. We knew that. We, we just didn't want to waste any money. We were saving money to, 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 to do this. And, and we just... I mean, we just neglected that building. It needed so much work done to it, but, but we didn't want to. Now our students, they have this full-court gymnasium, a brand-new place to worship and fellowship, nearly 11,000 square feet that they get to call home. And it would be so easy, so easy for a generation that, that was raised in that youth ministry that didn't have that to look at them and go, I don't like that. I, you know, why, why you? Why not me? But it blessed my heart when I walked in Wednesday night after service, after our, our Bible study here, and I walked in there, and I saw some of those former AXA students in there celebrating with them and playing ball with them and, and, and understanding what it means to invest in that next generation. I want you to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2, and this is really today's text. Listen, that was the longest intro, right? <laughs> some of you are scared to death right now. You're like, I'll get you out of here. I've got a meeting at 6.30 in Trenton, so I've got to be over there. It's at 6. I keep saying 6.30. It's at 6 o'clock, so if you show up at 6.30, you're 30 minutes late. 6 o'clock in Trenton, so I, I need to speed this up. In today's text, Israel has, they're now an established nation. They've had 12 kings up to this point. This is important. If we were grading these kings... David would have been the only one with an A average, and, and it's an A minus because he had some, some problems he had to deal with too. He made some mistakes. So we're going to give David an A minus. Solomon, his son, would be a C minus, and the reason why is he introduced Israel to pagan worship. So Solomon had his, his own fair share of issues. But all the rest of the kings, the other ten, they all received Fs. They were horrible kings. And although quality kings were hard to come by, prophets of God were plentiful. You see, somebody understood that next generation thing. And there were schools of prophets in various regions. And there was a prophet by the name of Elijah that was a central figure in leading and teaching these young prophets, investing in them and leaving that legacy that would outlive him. Elijah understood this. It is important for me to note that earlier in the, these writings, if, if we were to go before our text, the writings about Elijah, that he has a different servant than Elisha. We're going to read about Elisha here in a moment. Many of you know this, this story out of, the, out of the scriptures. But it's important for you to understand that in earlier writings, he has a different servant before Elisha. And whoever the servant was, we know that, that he served Elijah, and then he just didn't. 
Like he just disappears. I think I know why, but, but that's for you to determine and, and for God to know. Um, he disappears right after Elijah defeats the 450 prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. You never hear about him again, never hear about this, this servant again. I think during that, that it, mentally exhausting and draining day, terrified for his life, as, as Elijah, the prophet of God, is taking on 450 prophets of Baal, false prophets, I think that the, the servant just bailed. I, th- I think he just said, I didn't sign up for all this. I'm out of here. I'm gone. I think that's where he disappeared. So Elijah calls down fire from heaven and consumes the altar, the sacrifice, and the prophets of Baal. And, and there's, a, there's a king, King Ahab, and he's married to Jezebel. I don't have time to get into Jezebel and the spirit of Jezebel. And listen, I, I have angered Jezebel before, the spirit of Jezebel, and I will anger the spirit of Jezebel again, okay? I know what I'm up against now, and uh, I'm, re- I'm ready for the fight. I know it will happen, but, but listen to me. Jezebel is ticked at Elijah. And we find Elijah hiding in a cave. He just called down fire from heaven, but a very human side of him shows up in this moment. How many of you know even men of God, even women of God, can have moments of weakness, right? They're human. We're not God. We're dependent upon God. And, and, and he finds himself in a cave alone. There's no servant to be found. And at the moment, he has no successor to follow him in ministry. Such a wonderful, wonderful mentor has led hundreds of young prophets. But in this moment, there is no one to be his successor. And if you fast forward to the end of his life, which we're about to do, Elijah fulfilled his life's calling, and he's ready to go to heaven, and we find that Elisha is now his heir apparent. Second Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, that's mentor talking to mentee, okay? Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha. These are the young prophets. And they said to him, they say to the mentee, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho, so the young prophets studying in Jericho, drew near to Elisha, the mentee, and they said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they were both standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took, off, took, took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. Just leave your Bible open there for a moment. In order for us to understand the, significant, the significance of this event, we've got to go back to, to how this mentor-mentee relationship started. Where Elijah and Elisha met. You remember at, at that cave of isolation where, where he, he's, he's scared. He's worried that Jezebel is after him and it feels like he is all alone. He feels as though he's all alone in doing the Lord's work and it's a lonely place to be. But God reminds him in that cave that there are others, that he's not by himself. And God specifically tells him that there is a young man by the name of Elisha that is going to be his successor. Elijah leaves the cave. And and one day, he walks by a field where there's this young Elisha plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Now, I want to show you this. Can I borrow you? Just come stand right here. Just come stand right here. Just face that way. Just face that way. Have you ever plowed a field before? I didn't think so. 
if you were pretending to plow a field, what would you do? Not so fast. Come back, come back up. Listen, y'all excuse us just for a second. Pastor Rocky's old, and I can't walk that fast, so you're going to have to walk slower, okay? All right, there we go. All right, back. Elisha is, is plowing his father's field, and as he's plowing the field, Elijah walks by and throws his cloak on him. Now, what happens next is Elisha understands exactly what's happening. You don't, but he did. At that moment, Elisha runs after Elijah. He just keeps walking. Elijah puts his cloak on him and keeps walking. You don't, have to, you don't have to run. You don't have to run. You're good. But Elisha runs after him. He catches up with him, and, and he says to him, he says, I, I'm ready to say goodbye to my mom and dad. I know what this means, and I'm ready to follow you. Elijah tells him to go home. Elisha returns to the field. He sacrifices the oxen, and he sets up a free food truck for everybody to come and eat. He means business about this. I'm not going back to that field. And, and, and from that day on, Elisha is Elijah's assistant. I'll bring you back up in just a second, but you can't keep my coat. All right? Thank you. Thank you. Y'all give him my hand. So what was it about the cloak of Elijah that excited Elisha? What was it about the mentor's coat that excited the mentee? You see, the cloak itself was not some magical, mystical robe that gave Elijah these the special powers. It, it, it really it wasn't about the robe itself. Any power that was related to the cloak was because of the anointing on the prophetic office of Elijah, not the other way around. In other words, the man made the clothes, the clothes didn't make the man. The anointing made the clothes, the clothes didn't, didn't bring the anointing. Uh, the, the power of God on Elijah's life is what empowered the robe. And, and Elisha recognized the anointing that was on Elijah. And when he laid his cloak upon him, he knew that this was the opportunity of a lifetime. An opportunity that he could not pass up. Don't act like that's an easy decision though. Go to the New Testament and you'll remember. Jesus is talking with the rich young ruler. And he's offering him an internship with the Son of God. With the Messiah. He, he tells him, he said, man, I want you to be a part of my ministry team. I want you to come and, and, and mentor or, or, or be a mentee under me. I, I will mentor you. He tells him, he says, I want you to go and sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. But if you remember, it breaks this young man's heart. Because he loves his riches too much that he refuses an internship with the Son of God, with the Messiah. He says no. Understand, after that moment, he's never mentioned again. He could have been a part of the book of Acts. He could have been a part of all that God was going to do in birthing the church. He could have been the one that stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached and thousands come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He could have been that person, but he refused it. He could not do it. So don't act like the decision is easy, but, but Elisha, he recognized the opportunity laid before him, an opportunity that would require, here it is, here it is, Hard work and dedication. I'm, I'm going to offend some of the younger generation in the room, but this isn't just for the older generation. This is for you, okay? Society is teaching you that hard work and dedication don't exist any, any longer. And I, I need the younger generation, I need you to listen close to me. Because if you're ever going to do anything great for the kingdom of God, you've got to understand that at, at times you're going to have to put your hand to the plow. There's going to be moments when you're going to have to, to, to have a toilet one and you're going to have to scrub some toilets. There's going to be moments when, when you're going to have to help, help set up and you're going to have to help tear down. You're going to have to serve when you don't feel like serving because Jesus told us this is how you become great in the kingdom of God. It always starts with serving. Jesus said, Matthew 23 and 11, he said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Mark 9 and 35, and he, Jesus, sat down. He called the 12 around him. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Oh, let's just be honest. This isn't just for a younger generation. There's some 
older, in the, older generation in the room that need to hear this too, right? Matthew 20 and 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He set the example for us that greatness in the kingdom of God always begins with serving. Listen, there was a king in, in 2 Kings chapter 3 named King Jehoshaphat. And he was inquiring about a prophet. He needed a prophet. Listen, listen to this encounter. Verse 11. He said, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we might inquire of the Lord? Then one of the king of Israel's servants answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Don't miss it. The only description of Elisha that, that they could provide the king was that Elisha washed the hands of Elijah. He said, yeah, there's a prophet, but the only way I know to describe this guy to you is that he once poured water on his master's hands. The guy that he was serving, the guy that he was interning under, he, he helped him wash his hands one time. That, that's the only thing we know is that he served that guy. Listen to me, church. Please hear me out. When they describe me, my greatest accomplishment will not be that I was the founding pastor of DCC. That's not lasting fruit. I, I don't want you to describe me that way. My, it, it, it will not be by title. I don't want anyone to remember me by pastor, by author, by bishop, by regional bishop. My greatest accomplishment in the kingdom of God is when I pick up a broom and I sweep. My greatest accomplishment in the kingdom of God is when I grab a vacuum cleaner or when I take out the trash. Pastor Andrew, it's about getting that plunger that you are so good at around this place. But let me tell you, it makes you great in the kingdom of God. It does. My greatest accomplishment, if, if you want to describe me after I'm gone, let me give you something to describe me with. This is what I want to be known by. I knew I had to teach a class Wednesday night. I knew it was the first time back in, in, in almost three years of teaching adults live in the, in the sanctuary. And I knew it was going to be a big deal. And yes, you showed up. You were here. But most of the day, we were over in that student center trying to get it ready for the next generation. And I was running cables and running sound. And I was trying my best to get everything fine-tuned and get it all together. Because I want to be known as a servant. I can care less about a title. I can care less about writing a book. I want to be known as a servant of God. And if we will come to that mentality, God will then use us. God will then use the church. But we've got to become servants first. Younger generation, you listen to me. If you want to be great, forget about all the rock star preachers out there. God's looking for real servants. He's not looking for rock stars. I appreciate my wife and one other person agreeing with me on that. <laughs> Let's talk about this double portion. We're going to read it in just a moment, but Elisha's prayer was I want that double portion anointing of Elijah. I want, I want to be twice as anointed as Elijah. Was, was it selfish? Some people may look at it and go, well, you know, that's a big ask. Why, why do you want to be so selfish? I'll, I'll remind you, I said it a moment ago. Jesus said, to his disciples, he said, you're going to do greater things than what I did. He expected them to do. He cheered them on to greater things than what he did. I'm expecting the next generation to do greater things than what we did. Was it selfish? Not at all. Let me explain it to you. As far as we know, there was no Mrs. Elijah. Therefore, there was no EJ. Elijah Jr. We, don't, we, we never read about him. It's not there. And according to, to Old Testament law... The firstborn was to get a double portion of the inheritance. Asking for a double portion was actually a sign of respect. Elisha was saying to Elijah, you're like a father to me. You mean so much to my life that I look to you as a father figure. And, and if you want to honor me, if you want to bless me in any way, Consider me your son. Uh, and, and he didn't ask. I mean, let's face it. Elijah was a man of God. He was a preacher. He didn't have much. He didn't have much to leave him. No, no, no material blessings. But he had an anointing. 
And Elisha recognized it. And he said, if, if, if you want to bless me as you leave, he said, I want a double portion of that anointing because you're my spiritual father. All he was wanting to do was follow in his spiritual father's footsteps. So he follows him to Bethel. He tells him, he says, what, why don't you stay behind? He said, God's calling me to Bethel. And, and younger generation, listen to me. This is, this is where you've got, you've got to dig in. You've got to be hungry for this because I'm telling you what an older generation does not have the time for is for you to be lazy. We want you to want the anointing. We want you to want to learn. We want you to want the, 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 uh, um, uh, the integrity that we have. We want you to want the, 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 the mindset that we have, the convictions that we have. And, and we, we don't want to waste time because let me tell you, the older I get, the, I, I realize the less time that I have. I, I need to have someone that's hungry around me. And he says, I'm going to follow you. As long as you're alive, I'm going to follow you. And so he, he follows him. He follows him to Bethel. And the young prophets ask him there. He said, do you know that today God's going God's to take your master away? And he says, keep quiet. I don't want to talk about it. He follows him to Jericho. You can almost sense the heartbreak here. And more young prophets come to him and they say, do you know that today is going to be the last day that you get to, to be with your mentor? He says, yes, but, but just shut up about it. I don't want to talk about that. And then he follows him to the edge of the Jordan River. And what you have to understand about the Jordan River is that the Jordan represents death or dying. That's what the Jordan River always represents. It's death or dying. When the Hebrews crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, the old mindset that kept them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years was dying. You see, it's not always a bad death. Sometimes it's something that needs to die. And crossing over the Jordan, it allowed the Hebrews to forget that old mindset. They were leaving slavery behind and they were stepping into salvation. In Christianese, we use the metaphor crossing over Jordan to mean that we are entering eternal life through death. For those of us that have been raised in church, we've heard songs about it. We've talked about it. We've heard sermons about it. We've heard many funeral sermons about crossing over Jordan. And it means that we're entering into eternal life through death. John baptized in the Jordan, and it represented the death, burial, and resurrection of the believer with Jesus Christ. But thankfully, we didn't have to endure the cross like he did. It was all symbolism, and it was about death, burial, and res resurrection, but it, but it all happened in the Jordan River. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 8. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up. And struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. Watch this. When, when I was a teenager, I used to go to, to youth camp. And we used to get our towels. Anybody ever done this? And we'd pop each other with those towels at youth camp. We'd leave welts on the back of the leg. I mean, it, and I got good at it. Because you either get good or you don't survive. And I got really good at popping those towels. That's how I picture Elijah. The mentor walked up to the Jordan River with his mentee following him. And I see him taking his cloak and wrapping it up. And he popped pop the river and it began to part. I don't know if it happened like that, but don't mess it up. This is a good illustration. He popped the river and it parted, and they walked across on dry ground. Second Kings chapter 2, verses 9 through 13. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Listen to me, younger generation. You better stick close. You better stay close because that anointing is transferable. Listen close to me. It is transferable. You want to be close. Verse 11. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes. Listen, listen to this. Elijah. Uh, Elisha, rather. 
Elisha takes hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. How significant is it? Come here, Elisha. Stand right there. How significant is it that Elisha tore his own clothes? Just tear your clothes right now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He was going to do it. He was about to do it. He's the most literal kid I know. I knew he was going to do that. How significant is it that Elisha tore his own clothes? Isaiah 64 and 6 says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. In other words, my, my present anointing isn't good enough for what God wants to do in my life. I can't do this under my own power and under my own ability. And he tears his filthy rags. He tears them off. And when he does, he picks up the, 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 the cloak of Elijah, his mentor, and he puts it on. Put it on, man. Put it on. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. You look good, too, man. You look good. You, you can be seated. You're awesome, man. You just wear it. Just wear it. Just wear it. You look good in it. You look better than I do. I'm a fat guy trying to wear smaller clothes, so you're, you look good. It was like he was saying, I've got to shed who I once was. I told you, when you cross Jordan, there's a death that takes place. I've got to shed who I once was and somehow obtain the anointing and the power of God because that's when I will be able to do great things for the kingdom of God. Elisha knew that in order to receive a double portion from his mentor that he had to stay close. Can't let him out of my sight. Please hear me, hear me. Stay close to those leaders that God has put in your life because that anointing, you're going to put it on. You're going to wear that anointing and it's going to be a double portion. If you want to be a great father, listen to me, you find you a godly father. If you don't have one at home, you find yourself a godly father and you glean from them. You learn from them. You study their convictions and, and, and you study the word of God with them if they ask you to, but you stay close. If you want to be a great mother, you find you a Proverbs 31 woman and you stay close to her. You let her teach you what it means to be a woman of integrity, to be a woman uh, that, 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 that people look to and praise and bless. If you want to be a, a great Christian business leader, Find a business mind and connect to him or connect to her. Learn from them. Learn Christian principles in business and glean from that. If you want to be a Christian leader, listen, if you want to be a pastor one day or you want to lead in, 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 in the world of, of, of the church, listen to me. Find someone. And, and, and listen, you have to understand that they're not always going to say, yeah, yeah, of course I want you to hang out with me. Come on, come on. Elisha was determined. He was like a, like, he was like a bulldog that wouldn't let go. Sometimes we're looking at you, younger generation, just to know, just to see if you're really willing to put the work in, if you're really willing to serve, and, and if you will just stay steadfast with it, if you'll be determined with it, after a while, we're going to give in, and we're going to begin investing in you. Time and time again, we'll invest in you, but at first, we've just got to see if you're really sold out to it. If you want to be a Christian leader, then you find one and you follow everything that they do because you become who you hang around. That's not just for a younger generation. That's for an older generation in the room too. Some, some of you, you're still playing high school. You've been out of high school 25, 30 years. You're still playing high school because you're still hanging out with high schoolers. Oh, I don't have time. 2 Kings 2 and 14. Then he, Elisha, took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Can, can you do what I did? Take that cloak and I want you to strike the water. Good enough. <laughs> he struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other and Elisha went over. It's so interesting to me. I'm almost done. But Tim, let's, let's land this thing. It's interesting to me that Elisha's first miracle that he performed was Elijah's last miracle performed. In other words, church, he picked up right where his mentor left off. 
And younger generation, you need, you need to understand that. We don't want to hold you back. But what we don't want is for you to walk in and destroy and tear down everything that we've built. There's principles in place for a reason. And you may not know why yet. You just haven't gained an understanding of it yet. But God will lead you into that truth. Just, we're not going to hold you back. Listen, if, you, if you're in a church that holds you back, then go find a new church. We're not going to hold you back, but what we want you to do is build upon the foundation that we've built because it's a solid foundation. We've built you a solid foundation, and you're going to build greater, you're going to build bigger, you're going to build better than we did. We want you to build, but we want you to pick up where we left off. Understand that proximity to power matters. Proximity to power matters. If Elisha doesn't cross over Jordan with Elijah, he doesn't receive the double portion inheritance. And as I said, anointing is transferable. And if you're close to the anointing, it infects you. And all over this room, I see anointed men and women. I know your giftings. I know where God uses you. You don't have to be behind a pulpit to be anointed. I see how God uses you to bless others. I see how God uses you to make smart business decisions. I see how God uses you in your home as a father and your home as a mother. I see how God uses you and works through you. You've got something to invest in a, in a generation that's coming up behind you. And if they're close to it, it's going to infect them. Think about it. The early church, the disciples stood there, the, the close followers of Christ, they stood there and they watched him ascend into heaven. They were close in proximity to power. They were there to watch him ascend, just like Elisha was there to watch Elijah. They watched Christ ascend into heaven, and then they were empowered with the Holy Spirit. And if you want to know more about that, show up this Wednesday night as we start studying the book of Acts. I, I'm telling you, they couldn't have done it if they wouldn't have been in close proximity. They watched the Son of God ascend, then God filled them with his Holy Spirit. It's interesting that if you tally up Elijah, the mentor, if you, if you tally up Elijah's miracles, it comes out to eight total miracles. Elijah, recorded in Scripture, there's eight total miracles. During the life of Elisha, he performed 15 total miracles, one shy of double. It's like he almost made it, right? I mean, when you read it, you're like, really, God? Like, it would have been a much better story until you get to 2 Kings chapter 13 verse 20 then Elisha died and was buried groups of Moabite raiders used to invade the land each spring once when some Israelites were burying a man they spied a band of these raiders so they hastily threw the corpse into the tomb of Elisha and fled but as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones the dead man revived and jumped to his feet a double portion, a double portion anointing. That's what you call fruit that remains. It didn't die with him. It's fruit that remains, church. And God's called us to build a church that has fruit that remains. God forbid this die with me. God forbid this die with you, with, with any leader. We are investing in people. We are transferring anointing into people. Listen, I'm not ashamed to tell you, I've got some stuff to offer. We should all be saying that. We should all be living our lives in such a way that we qualify as a mentor. And today, some of you, you're going to feel that pressure. You're going to feel, and it's a godly pressure on your life, and you need to feel the weight of that because God needs to use you to raise up a generation. He's ready. He's ready. But for God to anoint you, you got to clean some stuff up. God's ready. For a younger generation in the room, He wants you to get serious about discipleship. 
And it may not look like what you want it to look like. It, it, it may not be opening up God's Word and studying the Hebrew and the Greek lexicon and everything else that you think makes up ministry. Let me tell you, the best ministry I ever learned was when I was working for a, a man in Live Oak that, that his, his form of discipleship was having me set up and tear, up, tear down the fellowship hall because he hosted uh, uh, banquets every week, two and three, and that was my youth room. So I couldn't leave my youth room. But you know what? I couldn't leave it set up. I had to tear down every Wednesday night. But you know what happened? Nine years later, God called me to plant a church in Newberry, Florida. Two years into that, we had to set up and tear down every Sunday and eventually every Wednesday also. It prepared me for ministry. It may not look like what you want it to look like, but God will use it. And you'll learn more from men and women of integrity just from hanging out with them, just being around them, asking them some of the questions about life that, that don't make sense to you and letting them pour into you. You need this, but you've got to be hungry for it and you've got to be relentless for it. You've got to show up and you've got to show them that you're, you mean business about this. But if we're going to create fruit that lasts, it's going to have to be through mentor-mentee relationships. And you're going to have to be intentional about it, both sides. Father, thank you, Lord, for the ministry of Elijah and the double portion anointing that you poured out on Elisha. God, I'm asking you right now for a double portion to be poured out on this next generation. I want to ask you to do something for me, church. Listen. If you're 30 and under, I want you to stand up right now. 30 years of age and younger. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I, I need to see who we're looking at. 30 years of age and younger. You wish. Raise your hands to heaven right now. Father God, a double portion anointing. May they do greater things than we have done. May they see more souls saved. May they disciple more. May they baptize more. May they see greater miracles. God, anoint them with a double portion anointing. Let them become so hungry for you, God. That they want to connect themselves up with men and women of God. That can help lead them to paths of righteousness. Help them to understand what true discipleship looks like. That it's not always book knowledge. That it's servanthood. It's being close in proximity to the power of God. And God, I just pray that you saturate their hearts with your anointing. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.